Amen, amen. Thank you, choir, for that beautiful reminder. We tend to look for other things to fill the hunger in our hearts, yet only Jesus Christ can fill that hunger. Thank you for redirecting our minds' uh, attention and our hearts' focus, Aaron and musicians. Thank you all so much for leading us. We only have 18 verses left in the book of Galatians. It's a lot different than going through Isaiah, isn't it? Uh, we're going to be on to 1 Corinthians in no time. And if you know anything about the church in Corinth, they're going to make Woodmont look like the best church ever, okay? It's going to, if you think that we're struggling or unhealthy, wait till you see Corinth, okay? We're going to look like rock stars uh, compared to those guys. But uh, I'm excited about next week. You're in for a treat. I'm sad to miss it. I'll be in D.C., but uh, in the pulpit we'll have Dr. Frank Lewis, who was pastor of First Baptist Church downtown for 25 like, years, I think. In 10 of those years, he was my pastor. So it's really special to have Dr. Lewis with us. He's a, one of the most genuinely kind and humble and gentle souls. He's not putting that on. That's who he is, and that will come across in his message for us next week, and then we'll finish Galatians on the 27th, and then we'll be on to uh, really the Easter season with Palm Sunday on April 10th. There's a potluck. We invite y'all to join us with the Easter egg hunt outside on the, on the lawn, and then on April 17th, we celebrate the glorious resurrection of our Lord and Savior on that beautiful Easter morning. I can't wait. So today we're going to continue to see these practical applications. How then shall we live? We've been reading about how the Apostle Paul was explaining the gospel, that, that it's not works that make us right with God. It's nothing that we do following the law of Moses that makes us acceptable to God. It's only by God's grace expressed through Jesus Christ on the cross. And the cross changes everything. Now we who were formerly cut off from God are now acceptable in the sight of a high and holy God, of the high and holy God. You know, most of us pastors can get lost really quickly in, in getting our theology nailed down and getting our theology right that sometimes we forget about the ethical implications that necessarily go along with that theology. Jesus was clear in his teaching that God is far more concerned about how we actually live than how we say we believe. It matters how we actually live. What difference does our faith actually make in our daily routines? Does your faith change the way that you meet with your accountant when you come to do your taxes? Does your faith change the way that you talk to your neighbors? Does your faith change the way that you steward your resources and your time? Does your faith affect the way that you treat your family? Your faith should have consequential reactions to it. If we truly believe the gospel, then it changes how we live. Last week we talked about living in step with the Holy Spirit. I think about, Bill, you've seen so many funerals over your time, and you've probably seen some disasters, but I've seen where there's about eight or nine pallbearers, right, around one casket. And when those guys are carrying that casket, if they're not in step with each other, it, it becomes tricky. When they're stepping over headstones and, and mud and all kinds of stuff, they have to be in step as they move together. 
And that's how we are to be with the Holy Spirit, walking in step where the Spirit leads us to go. And, and we become so in tune with what God's doing through the Spirit that we become part of what God's doing. We align ourselves with God's good purposes for this world when we walk in step with the Spirit. I love trying to catch my kids, that doesn't happen a lot, but when I catch them doing something that I know is counter to their sinful nature, and I, I try to catch them in that and say, hey, do you see how you got your sibling a glass of milk without being asked to? You put someone else's need ahead of your own? That's the Holy Spirit in you. That's the Holy Spirit doing something in you that you would not normally have done. So whenever we bear the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, or self-control, it's not that we're doing anything of our own natural ability, it's that the Holy Spirit is working this fruit out in our lives, in His timing, in His power. We're giving evidence that we're growing in grace as we bear these fruits. It's not we who bear the fruits, it's God who bears the fruits in us. And the greatest of those fruits, the first fruit, is love. When I was growing up, rap music was exploding on the pop culture scene. It was this new phenomenon in the 80s. Brad's laughing because he was in that world too at my age. And uh, of course, in my house, I wasn't allowed to listen to any of it uh, <laughs> until my sister, being in Franklin, everyone's in the music industry, and uh, she had a friend who, whose dad was a music producer in the late 80s for a new Christian hip-hop group called DC Talk. I think it stood for Decent Christian Talk. That's a terrible name. Uh, I don't know why they did that. But, but she hooked me up with like CDs, or actually it was cassette tapes back then, and a signed poster of the three guys, a black and white poster from the guys in, in DC Talk, and my parents let me listen to it, and I memorized all the words, of course, and I thought it was the coolest thing ever. And they had one song called Love is a, what, Logan? That's right, I knew you'd know. Love is a verb, and how is love spelled? You remember how it's spelled? L-U-V, because that's hip hop. To spell things wrong is, is cool. Uh, love is a verb. So in, in an ode to DC talk, to decent Christian talk and, and to Christian rap music today, our outline is called love, L-U-V, is a verb. The triumph of service over selfishness. If we truly are bearing out love, the love of God that only he can manifest in our lives, then it necessitates action. It necessitates actually doing something to bear those fruits. I don't, I'm not gonna sing in the pulpit like Dr. Sherman. I'm certainly not gonna rap, but I'm gonna quote this. The best part in the song is where they lift up the example of Jesus as the ultimate love in action and then how we are to uh, follow that example. Gave up his life so that we may live. How much more love could the Son of God give? There's a few of you millennials who can quote this here tonight, uh, this morning. And then it says, here's the example that we ought to be matching because love is a word that requires some action. Very good, requires some action. So what we're gonna see is that love being the primary fruit of the Spirit, it's the first of those nine fruits that Paul lists, how it must produce 
action in our lives. Love genuinely wants the best for the other. Love is not self-seeking. Love, agape love, is gift love. It's outward focused without seeking anything in return. It's a selfless kind of love. And naturally, we're not predisposed to loving that way. I would argue you can't, and First John would argue, you cannot love that way unless you have been born of the Spirit, unless God is working out his good fruit in your life. Only then can we love truly selflessly. We've been talking about how the gospel frees us to, to stop being so concerned for ourselves, which is a miserable way to live, and to unbend to the world and to others and to freely serve and to find joy in giving ourselves away. And that giving requires action. And what we're going to see is in, first, uh, in Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 to 10, we're going to see how to put that love into action. So I'm going to read our text for today. Why don't we stand in honor of God's word as I read Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 to 10. Hear now the word of the Lord. Brothers and sisters, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Evan, I mean, Aaron and I went and led uh, a service at the Blakeford, and a lot of them are watching this. Uh, greetings to everyone who's at the Blakeford Senior Adult Living Center just over here in Green Hills. And I read the text, and I said, this is the word of the Lord. And the whole room said, thanks be to God, and very loud. I said, you must have, anybody here, you know, grew up liturgical, Methodist, Presbyterian, and they, the whole room raised their hand. I said, Baptist? There was one guy who was Baptist, and he was the former president of Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. So I said, this, this one Baptist is representing all the Baptists well. So uh, greetings to Lloyd Elder uh, out there today watching this. I think this text is really divided into two sections, okay? Verses 1 to 5 and verses 6 to 10. And the first section is about how love lifts all ships, about mutual service and accountability, about how when we serve one another, it benefits the whole community. President John F. Kennedy would often say, a rising tide lifts all boats, and that's a phrase that he borrowed from the New England Chamber of Commerce, and usually that phrase is 
associated with free market economics and that kind of thing. But that idea has come under a lot of criticism over the years. Some uh, more progressive politicians have said things like a rising tide lifts all yachts. I'm not going to get into the point of free market economy, but the point here is that for Christians, we see that when we're serving one another, when we're accountable to one another, when we're outwardly seeking the best for the other, how it mutually benefits the entire community in which we live and work and serve. It's part of what makes a church healthy. And in this section, Paul is concerned with how Christians ought to treat one another and care for one another in their local church context. Look at verse 2 again for the general principle here. It says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Notice that the assumption is that we all have burdens, right? Bear one another's burdens because everybody's got them. When I was in pastoral counseling class in the seminary, the, the lady who taught our class was, she grew up in the projects in Baltimore. She had been a nun and had run away from the convent, just an amazing woman who had a lot of life lived, and she was kind of a grandmotherly figure at this point in her life. And before class, she would make us repeat after her. She'd say, I got issues, I got issues, you got issues, you got issues. All God's children got issues. That's what we'd all say before every class to remind us that everyone is carrying some sort of baggage. Jesus told us, in this world, you will have tribulation. We never know what that person who's slow at the restaurant is going through, so maybe show them a little grace. We don't know what the person in, who cut you off in traffic on Hillsborough Road like they did to me yesterday, show them some grace, right? We never know what people are going through. It may be a, a mental health issue. It may be a physical health issue. It may be unemployment, not knowing where their next check's gonna come from. It may be loneliness that this pandemic has just exacerbated. Maybe it's, it's been demonic oppression that they're being attacked by evil forces in their life. We don't know what each person is going through. But a lot of us will go through something difficult and we'll pray in, in that season. We might even fast. We might even uh, do something intense. We'll pray that God will help us. And we have people in our lives, but we say, yeah, not, not them, God. I, I, don't, I don't want them to help. It reminds me of the story, you know, the, the, the flood where the guy's on the roof and he prays that God will rescue him off the roof. And then uh, a guy comes by with a boat, right? And he says, no thanks, God's got this. I've already prayed, God's gonna rescue me, don't worry about it. And then the helicopter comes, he says, no, go away, God's gonna save me. And then he drowns and <laughs> goes to meet his maker and God says, hey man, what, what were you doing? And he says, well, I was waiting on you, God, where were you? And God says, I sent a boat, <laughs> I sent a helicopter. You didn't take them. Sometimes we want God to work how we think he should work. We want him to help, but in the way that we want, in a way that's not too messy, in a way that's not too invasive. And guess what? People are messy. We were trying to decide about Jude going to, you know, school, school choice is a thing in metro schools right now, a magnet school or a regular school or whatever. And, uh, you know, I was talking with Lil about it this morning, whose kids went through a public school system here. And uh, she, I said, you know, Brad and I were talking, every school's got immorality. And she said, yeah, every school's got people. <laughs> and people got issues. We know that. 
And we know that, that we, a lot of times, it's messy when you ask people to help you with those issues. It's gonna be difficult because it's gonna be, take some you know, vulnerability on your part, but it will be worth it. God uses people to do his work all the time. And maybe today you need to allow people to walk with you through something. I saw an article just this past week on the connection between mental health and, and friendship, a secular study that showed that people who have friends do better mental health-wise, go figure. But the church is not a club for making friends. Timothy George says the church is a family of born-again brothers and sisters, supernaturally knit together by the Holy Spirit in a common fellowship of mutual edification and love. I love that symbol. Together, we are the household of God, as Ephesians 2 says. Ephesians 2, verse 19 says, you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. As beautiful as this sanctuary is, it is not the church. You are the church, and God is building you into a beautiful house for him to dwell in. And if you've been to any cathedral or you see these beams here that lean on each other, guess what? You have to lean on each other in the house of God as well. You are support beams supporting other support beams. And it takes each one of us playing our part to make the house stand. The house of God needs beams supporting one another. That may be scary at first, again, to open up, to share with somebody what you're actually going through takes a great deal of courage. And far too often, church has been the, the number one place where people put on their Sunday best and they pretend like they have it all together and they show up in very respectable ways and you just leave thinking that person really is doing well when on the inside they're crumbling. Maybe we've just grown calloused to sin. Maybe we're going through such sin that we're not even aware how close we are to disaster. So somebody has to go first when it comes to vulnerability, right? Will you be the first in your small group to open up and share? Let's all be willing to allow others to help carry the load because you don't have to carry it yourself. And when we do that, we fulfill the law of Christ, which was what? The new commandment that he gave us that we're gonna celebrate on Maundy Thursday to love one another as he has loved us. That takes a lot of humility too, right? Look at verse three. For if anyone thinks that he's something, <laughs> that guy really thinks he's something. When he's nothing, he deceives himself. Again, the implication is, guess what? You're not something. All of your achievements, all of your degrees, all of your bank accounts, it's, it's nothing apart from the grace of God expressed in Jesus Christ. Remember, our fallen nature, again, is to be curved in on ourselves. We naturally tend towards narcissism and navel-gazing, but the gospel frees us from all that. It frees us from the oppression of selfishness. 
It frees us to love outwardly and selflessly without concern for ourselves. The ground at the foot of the cross is level. Remember, everyone comes there not through their own achievements, not through their own successes or triumphs. Our whole culture, you know, part of the problem with the school choice thing for our sixth grade son is we're like, his whole future depends on this. No, it doesn't. <laughs> it depends on the grace of God in Jesus Christ. But we're so prone to think about our achievement and our success in, in terms of school and work as our identity. We're prone also towards pride and comparison. We look at others who may be struggling and we think to ourselves, I'm doing pretty good, huh? Like I said about Woodmont versus the church in Corinth. <laughs> but apart from the grace of God, we're all in the same sinking boat of sin. And that comparison game leads nowhere good. We know that. And look at verses four and five. Let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. We're each responsible for our own load. There is one load that you cannot carry for me, and that's my responsibility to God. And it's too light even for you to carry. It's something that's between me and the Lord. You're each responsible for what God has entrusted to you. That doesn't mean that you have to carry your other burdens, the excessive burdens alone. So what we have to do is carry the ones that are too heavy. But when it comes to our load, that's our duty between us and God. And one day we will be responsible to give an account for how we carried that load between us and the Lord our maker. Now let's go back to verse one and see a practical example of this burden bearing, what it actually looks like. Verse one says, brothers and sisters, if anyone's caught in any transgression, caught, the word in Greek means surprised or like overtaken or like, oh dear, this person is in sin. If anyone's caught in, in sin, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. People are caught in sin far too often. It's not a new problem. It's not a new thing. This was going on in Paul's day too. But we have a tendency to assume that our sin is going to stay private, that it's just between us and God. But sin always has a way of, of being found out, which is actually a good thing. It's actually a good thing. Then we can move towards restoration. And instead of judging people who are caught in sin, we are, who are spiritual people, who are walking with the Lord, are called to gently help them heal. It's the church's job to lovingly and graciously move them forward in what is God's best for them. But not everyone's supposed to do that work. Only those who are spiritual, mature Christians who are walking in step with the Spirit more than the flesh. Being caught in sin isn't the end, right? Eddie, all our recovery community, they can tell you, being caught in sin is not the end. If you're surrounded by brothers and sisters in a family of faith, it's the beginning of getting back on track with where the Lord wants you to go, a path that leads towards flourishing and thriving and freedom. That leads to our second section in verses 6 to 10, we're going to see how love is worth 
the investment, how we actually get by giving. Some of you are finance types. We have some financial planners in the church, and I don't understand all the stuff that, Rob, that, that you guys do at your, your group, but I do know that what happens when we give love away is we actually get more in return. We actually get more out of it. Yes, love is messy. Love takes sacrifice, but it's always worth it. Look at verses six and seven. Let the one who's taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. Now, I'm a city boy. I know, like, Nan, you grew up on a farm. You know, Nan, she's stronger than me and has more energy because she'd get up early. And what would you do, milk cows? What would, what would you do? No cows. Okay, other animals, all right. But I know she's a farmer, and those, those farmers amaze me because I don't, I don't get it. I, I grew up in the city and grocery stores where we got our food. And, uh, but they'll understand this reference better than me of sowing and reaping. All you Kentuckians, Ryan Snellen, and all, all you folks know what I'm talking about here better than, than I do. If you under, I understand that the goal is that when you put something into it, you get out of it what you put into it. I get that much. If the goal is a big wheat harvest, I understand at least you have to prepare the soil and, and sow good seed and plenty of it. John Stott says if someone sows wild oats, as we sometimes say, they're not going to expect to reap strawberries. <laughs> I like that. You get out of it what you put into it. It's similar to what I tell our kids all the time that there's two ways to enjoy something. Either you pay for it on the front end or you pay for it on the back end. And the best things to enjoy are the ones you pay for on the front end. If you want to enjoy good health, then you go to the gym. You put the work in, right? You, you actually uh, eat right and you go walking, get your steps in. Those things lead to good health and you enjoy the fruit of that good health. If you want to enjoy an entire pizza, okay, that, you can do that, but you're going to pay for it on the back end. I won't go into detail. So many people don't pay attention to what they're sowing, though. They live one way now and expect later to live a different way, to not pay for it later. But God will not be mocked. He knows what's going on, and he's just People may think they can go through life oblivious to the consequences, but one day, God himself is going to bring in the harvest. We're told that over and over in Scripture. He's the Lord of the harvest, and what you're sowing will come to consequence. Well, on that day, we're going to be responsible for our load, again, from verse 5. So Paul gives some practical application to this principle of, of sowing and reaping in love. He says in verse 6 that if a teacher is lovingly sowing God's word among God's people, they should lovingly share the harvest with them. Again, I'm so grateful for Woodmont Baptist Church investing in its staff so that we can teach the word faithfully. And when that's working right, it's a beautiful thing. And it's not just about compensation or uh, sabbaticals. Uh, Stephen Neal, who's a bishop, uh, says in about verse 6, this is not to be regarded as payment. The, the word share in verse 6, let the one who's taught the word share all good things, is a rich Christian word, which is used of our fellowship koinonia. Church staff aren't supposed to be, you know, charlatans. I was in seminary with a lot of people looking around thinking, I don't think this person would cut it 
in the real world, <laughs> you know what I mean, in seminary. But, but church staff are to diligently be sowing God's word, and, and congregations aren't supposed to say, well, we pay the church staff, so they do what we want them to do. That's not, those dynamics get messed up a lot of times, but when spiritual teachers love their spiritual pupils well, and the pupils love their teachers, there's a beautiful, joyful, koinonia fellowship bond that's how it should be. It takes intentionality, and that's a big part of what makes church healthy. Next, in verse eight, we see that love is worth the investment when we apply it to personal holiness in our own lives. It says, for the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let's say you have a 40-acre farm. Again, I don't know what a 40-acre farm looks like. I'm from the city. But if you have a 40-acre farm, maybe 20 acres over here are the spirit field, and then 20 acres over here are the flesh field. Which one do you spend most of your time in? Which field are you investing your time, your talent, your resources? Which field are you sowing in now? Because you will reap from that field later. If you spend all your time sowing in the field of the flesh, guess what kind of fruit you're going to get? I, I love this old saying. I think it's very true. We don't know who came up with it. Sow a thought, reap an act. Sow an act, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character, reap a destiny. It's not scripture, but I believe it's a biblical phrase. What we sow in our character is what we reap in our lives as our destiny. So the very practical question is, when it comes to your personal holiness, what are you sowing? What do your eyes take in? Do you watch trash on TV? Do you read trashy books? What about your ears? I, I find myself listening to music sometimes, secular music. I listen to a whole record, and I'm like, I'm sad. I'm depressed. I need to listen to some worship music to get my heart right and, and back to where I need to be. And the last you know, few years, I've had my daily Bible readings delivered to my phone because I'm tempted to reach for my phone first things in the morning. I know I've seen a lot of Wordle scores early in the morning, and I always wonder, has that person read their Bible yet? And I'm tempted to reach for my phone and do all those things in the morning too, but I make sure that I have my inbox delivered to me, my Bible reading every day. You can do that on the ESV app, by the way, is how I do it. The, the Holy Bible app is also an excellent one to, to get those delivered. Maybe we can start a no Bible, no Wordle rule, okay? Is that, is that fair? The spiritual disciplines that we engage in intentionally is sowing what our character will be like later. If you want to sow, a, 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 if you want to reap a godly character, you have to sow the godly disciplines. And then the disciplines that we engage in also talk about temptation. Right? Have you heard the old phrase that when you have two dogs that are in a fight, which dog wins? It's the one you feed most. The one you feed most. When it comes to temptation, what you sow, you will reap as well. Finally, we see that love is worth the investment when it comes to doing good. Look at verses 9 and 10. Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those 
who are of the household of faith. Let, I mean, take it from Calvin, pouring out yourself for others is exhausting. I don't know how many trips he's made to Waverly over the past year, but it's a lot. And it can wear you out. But it's a beautiful kind of exhaustion. It's the kind of tiredness, I used to hear people say they didn't wanna be on Dewey's team on the mission trip because they knew that Dewey's team was gonna be in that clinic until every single last person got to be seen and treated and presented with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It may be 12, it may be 14 hours, but it's gonna be a long day if you're in Dewey's team. And then you get home and you eat a late dinner knowing that lives have been changed for eternity through those efforts, and you sleep the sleep of grateful exhaustion. And one day, we're gonna sow the harvest of all those efforts. We're gonna see those in God's presence whose lives were transformed because we did good to them and for them. What could be sweeter than that? Let's invest all the love we can now because we know that it's gonna lead to a harvest of joy and gratitude and praise. Love is indeed a verb. How can you live it out today? You, you can't bear the burdens of other believers and they can't bear yours if you're not an active part of a church. That may sound obvious, but maybe today you're here and you're not in a life group, you're just kinda trying to do the Christian life on your own. Christianity is a team sport. It's messy to go and introduce yourself to others and guess what, they're messy too and we all got issues. But I encourage you to, to get involved in a small group. Maybe the women's Bible study is a good place for you to, to jump in and plug in. Men's breakfast has been postponed to next week. Come hang out and eat bacon and sausage with some, some dudes and hear Aaron's testimony and just get to know some guys so that you can become part of the church. Maybe you've taken that step and you're among God's people, but your defenses are up. You have a wall around you. And maybe you're convicted today that you need to go first in, in stepping out and being vulnerable with your group and humbly asking for help. I love what Evan says uh, all the time to our students. You can be impressive or you can be known, but you can't be both. <laughs> you can be impressive or you can be known. You choose which one it's gonna be. Maybe you personally need to stop sowing so much in the field of the flesh and start planting some crops in the, in the field of the spirit. Then maybe God's love will overflow out of our lives into the lives of others through our good works. Let's not grow weary of it. Let's encourage one another all the more as we see the day approaching as we gather together and cheer each other on to fight the good fight and dive further into advancing God's kingdom. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the, the good words that you give us in Galatians, practically of how to live out the gospel. Lord, we thank you that through the cross, we are able to not have to spin our wheels trying to be right with you, but we can spin our wheels moving forward, advancing your kingdom, seeing the fruits of the Spirit manifest themselves in our lives as not so that we can enjoy them, oh God, but so that we can give them away, so that we can be a blessing to others, so that we can spend our lives pouring ourselves out selflessly serving because we no longer are bound by the prison of selfishness. God, help us in a culture that is so inherently selfish 
to be so radically countercultural in how we don't mind giving ourselves away. In fact, we enjoy it and we love it. Yes, it's exhausting, but I pray that we would not grow weary of doing good, of bearing others' burdens. God, I thank you for all of those in this church who have helped to bear my burdens. God, I pray that I would also be a burden bearer to many others. I pray that we would all actively seek out opportunities to carry that which we do not have to carry alone. God, I thank you for a church family. What a beautiful support system and network that you've given us as you build us up into your beautiful house. Help us to lean on one another. Help us to do that with joy, with courage, and humility as we know it's best. God, we pray for those who are lost and searching, who don't have a, a church home. God, we pray that they would come and find life, whether it's at Woodmont or some other Bible-believing church, that they would join themselves to it in an effort to move forward together in your kingdom. God, I'm always reminded of, of that verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, that we strive side by side for the faith of the gospel. I think about all these offensive linemen and how they move together, God, advancing the line forward. May we be like that as a church, oh God, working together, playing our part, moving side by side, marching forward into what you have for us. May we be effective in our evangelism. May we see lives go from death to, to life. May we see uh, efforts and missions bear much fruit as lives are transformed for eternity through meeting needs in the name of Jesus Christ. God, we pray for our ministries to be effective, not for our sake, not so we can brag and boast and feel good about ourselves, oh God, but so that your kingdom would come here on earth and your will would be done here as it is in heaven. Lord, we pray now for Woodmont Baptist Church for our future. We pray you would continue to guide us. We pray for all the leaders. We pray for the staff. We pray for the, the dynamics between staff and committees and, and deacons. God, we thank you for so many lay leaders who have poured out their lives over the last 80 years in this place. We stand on their shoulders in so many ways, God. May we honor their legacy by wisely moving forward together. We pray this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Amen. We're going to have a time of response now. Whatever the Lord has convicted you of today, don't leave here without having dealt honestly with him. Maybe you've never been baptized. Maybe you've never followed Jesus' example of believer's baptism. It's not magic. It doesn't clean you. It doesn't save you. But it is a powerful, powerful marker in your spiritual journey, a powerful symbol of the inward reality of what's happened as you've gone from death into life. Maybe you're just burdened for what's going on in Ukraine or for someone who's lost and you just feel overwhelmed. That's okay. The Bible never says, I joked with someone today who said they were feeling overwhelmed. I said, well, you know, the Bible says God will never give you more than you can handle. The Bible never says that. The Bible says that you need God's grace every day. Some of you need God's grace to get out of bed an hour early. Some of you need God's grace just to function through the next hour. That's okay. It's okay. His grace is sufficient for your every need. Maybe you want to come pray at the altar. Maybe you're ready to join Woodmont and you say, I'm in. I want to be a part of what God's doing here as a member. Maybe you want to talk about joining a life group. You don't know where to get plugged in. You don't know what next step to take. I'd love to talk with you about that. I'll be outside uh, in the, the south foyer after the service 
if you want to talk, whatever it is you need to do during this time. Maybe you want to give your life to Jesus for the first time. Maybe you've never surrendered your will, your body, your future to Christ and said, God, I want to get off of the throne of my life and put you in your rightful place. If that's you today, I'd love to talk with you about the most important decision you can ever make in your life. Whatever it is you need to do, let's stand and sing our hymn of invitation.